Okay, everybody, you doing all right? Can everybody stand up? If you're physically capable, just stand up, please. I just want to raise your hands above your head like this. I just want you to go, oh, come on, come on, come on. Right, I'm awake now, you can sit down, okay? What you're present and conscious with me. Um, excellent, today we're going to be looking at flying again, risk and faith, or faith and risk, the whole series. I'll let you make of that joke whatever you want. Uh, there's a mountain goat doing what, what, what? Hey, what is a mountain goat doing up uh, in the cloud bank when you're flying an aeroplane? Because I want to talk about risk and faith and flying. And when you fly, things can happen. And a little bit later, I'm going to be talking about things, if you're about to go on holiday in an aeroplane, might be disturbing to you. Because I'm going to be talking about crashing aircraft. All right? Anybody going on holiday soon, flying? Excellent. I'm going to tell you about what happens when they land badly. So far, we've been looking at one or two things uh, in this series. Now, this is part three, so we've looked at we can uh, risk having faith. We've talked about faith being worship and that fear is a liar. Um, And today, we're going to be talking about faith risks trust. Um, And we're going to break out of the familiar, because one of the things I'm going to be saying this morning is that familiar is the enemy of our future. The familiar is the enemy of our future. And the following verses contain all the things I've said so far. So you're going to wonder, well, if Paul's been speaking now for two hours on risk and faith, how come the next two verses sum up everything? Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 say this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. That basically is my entire series summed up in two verses, okay? So whatever your life is, that's what we're about. But we want to ground it into real life. We have this phrase connecting real people to real God in real life, and this series is about connecting those elements together in real life. This series on faith, I'm seeking to do more than theologically consider faith, which is a very fascinating thing to do, but I want to see it demonstrated and lived in our real lives. So that's what I'm trying to apply it to, which is why I'd like to look at this. Does anybody know what that is? It's a very old photograph. It's not a jumbo jet, but it's a DC something or other. It's Flight 232. Does anybody know what Flight 232 is about to do there? It's about to land really badly. It didn't crash, it landed badly. This is the story of Flight 232. Has anybody heard of Flight 232? There was a film made about Flight 232 years and years ago. The one that landed in the cornfield. Ah, so one day, Captain Al Haynes, 55-year-old pilot, well-experienced, he was flying his aeroplane. Oh, the co-pilot was flying. He was just relaxing a little bit. And they're flying over America. And suddenly, as they're flying, there's an almighty... Bang. A huge bang. And this aircraft had three engines, one on each wing and one on the tail. And the one on the tail had gone bang. And as it went bang, it destroyed all of the hydraulic control lines. All of the cables were destroyed. So nothing in the cockpit worked apart from the engine controls on, off, left, right. That's that's all they got. And the plane immediately began to do what? hurtled to the floor very quickly. And it went completely out of control. And Captain Haynes said, 
This, it was just an ordinary passenger plane, you know, tourists going on holiday, nothing exciting. Just people with a holiday baggage above and all giddy and the, the suitcase inside, the kids next to them all giggly and the buckets and spades, just like you'll be doing in a couple of weeks' time. And so there they were on holiday. They probably had a glass of wine in the air and four or five pints in the airport. Don't know why they do that at three o'clock in the morning, but people do. So there they all are. And suddenly the plane's hurtling to the ground and the ground is rushing towards the windscreen very, very quickly. And the captain says, I'll take control. I will take control. And he grabbed the controls of the aircraft and the voice recording said afterwards and realised, I have no control. And then he's, he, the next phrase he used was, does anybody have any good ideas? It's <laughs> so genuine, you can read the transcript, I'll take control, I don't have control, does anybody have any good ideas? And I want to tell you what we're going to discover is between that first phrase, I'll take control, and does anybody have any good ideas, everything changed. Everything changed at that moment. Because what happened then, the pilot, the co-pilot, the engineer, and a passenger going on a holiday who happened to be a designer of early flight simulators, all of them up in the cockpit, managed between them to land that plane with no controls. Do you know what they did? They worked out if one held one throttle on one engine with all his might, the other held the other throttle with all his might, and the other two pulled on the stick with one cable that kind of nearly held some up and downness and nothing, no left or right, then one engine could make it go like that, left and right, and the other, the other two could push and pull and make it go up and down a little bit, and they hurtled to the floor twice the speed they're supposed to go, at twice the angle they were supposed to be at, with not proper landing gear because their hydraulics weren't working and smashed into the ground. And nearly everybody on board survived. A handful died, but the whole crew survived. The people at the front in the cockpit survived. You know, they always hit the ground first. But they survived. And people, this is a very famous scene where they thought, that's where it landed, on the runway. And it finished in the cornfield on the right-hand side. Can you see it? And everybody thought everybody was dead. And then all the passengers started walking out of the cornfield. There's actual film footage on YouTube of the passengers walking out, unscathed, out of the cornfield, alive. Amazing, amazing story. So I'm sorry that's not a funny story to start with, but I just wanted you to know that something significant happened. When that captain stopped trying to be the man and trusted those people around him, together they landed an aircraft and together they saved hundreds of lives. It's remarkable. And they tried, and they've tried ever since, to reproduce that landing. So... You've got to understand that pilots are not trained for catastrophic failure. Do you know why? Because they don't carry parachutes and it's catastrophic, it's all over. And the quicker it's over, the better. And that is literally why they don't train them for catastrophic failure. But God does. God trains us for catastrophic failure because God puts us in team. And that team of people worked out together we can land this. And not once in all the flight simulators between then and now has anybody been able to land an aircraft in those circumstances on a simulator, never once, but they did. That's a remarkable thing. When the future comes rapidly towards the windscreen of our lives, we have a choice. We go solo and say, I'm in command. We grasp the familiar things, me, the things I do, the things I know. Or we have the faith to trust people around us and we grasp the future. Church, this morning I want to talk about grasping the future. 
Trusting God is one thing, but we have to trust people. Look around the room. Just have a look around the room. I'm not going to say, do you trust them? I'm just simply saying God calls us to trust one another, to encourage one another, to lean on one another, to prefer one another, to, to, to encourage and to build up and to send out one another. He's into that one anotherness. Trusting God is one thing. Trusting people is a, lot, is a whole different thing. Lots of us have lots of reasons not to trust. Lots of us have got lots of history in our lives that says, I can't trust people. I want to fly solo. If you fly solo, you'll crash and burn. We're not designed to fly solo. We're designed to fly in team. But it's all about the context becoming. Faith, risk, and trust comes down to context. What makes or breaks it is our sense of vulnerability, that we need others and we can't do it alone. You know, we will only succeed if we do it with others. We're called to be together. You know, we're not isolated individual people. And this is coming from a person that loves to be by himself. I love being by myself. I, I've got like an introvert sport, and I like, like my space, and I like being by me, by, by myself with me. And yet, Scripture, everything about Scripture says we are meant to be together. We gather together. Do not cease meeting together. All of these things are important. We only function as people when God builds us and draws us together. That's what we're for. God specifically gathers his people. It's really important. Oh, that's tiny. Um, I'm going to read you a story about our attitude, whether it's about us flying solo or about whether we do it in team. It's about vision and attitude. I'm going to read you an unusual story about Simon the sorcerer, okay, or Simon the wizard or the con man, whatever you want to refer to him as. And this is a story we don't often read, but I want to just touch on it this morning as part of this story. Uh, I want you to set the background to it. Um, the Christians have been cast out and spread out from all over Jerusalem and everywhere. The new church has got this brand new church. They're talking about Jesus. And one of those people going out is Philip. He's an evangelist and he's telling people and people are getting saved. And miraculous and brilliant things are happening. Just God's on the move. And he goes to this particular town in, in Samaria. That's a, a little offshoot um, in what we kind of near Palestine in modern settings and because uh, there's always been kind of aggravation there and there was aggravation there then 2,000 years ago and this is one of the aggravation areas but Philip goes there and he, he talks about the good news of Jesus Christ and loads of people get saved and this is what happens in Acts chapter 8 and I do apologize that's a little small for you but you can turn to it in your Bibles if you want but as I said last week faith comes by hearing the word of God so you can just listen if you want. Previous to Philip's arrival a certain Simon had practiced magic in the city. Posing as a famous man and dazzling all the Samaritans with his wizardry, he had them all, from little children to old men, eating out of his hand. They all thought he had supernatural powers and called him the great wizard. He had been around a long time and everyone was more or less in awe of him. But when Philip came to town, announcing the news of God's kingdom and proclaimed the name of Jesus Christ, they forgot Simon... And were baptized, becoming believers right and left. Even Simon himself believed and was baptized. From that moment, he was like Philip's shadow. So fascinated with all the God signs and miracles that he wouldn't leave Philip's side. It's a good start, isn't it? He's been a bit of a wizard, a bit of a con man. He's been a bit of a, you know, he kind of impresses people and pulls them in and draws them into his circle. But then God breaks out. And he has an amazing moment where he believed and is baptized. But he's still drawn, drawn to the public arena. And it goes on to say this in the next few verses. 
when the apostles in Jerusalem received the report that Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John down to pray for them to receive the Holy Spirit. Up to this point, they'd only been baptized in the name of the Master Jesus. There's more about the Holy Spirit next week. The Holy Spirit hadn't yet fallen on them. Then the apostles laid their hands on them, and they did receive the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the apostles, by merely laying hands on, conferred the Spirit, he pulled out his money, excited, and said, Sell me your secret. Show me how you did that. How much do you want? Name your price. That's unbelievable, isn't it? He's a Christian. He's been baptized. But what he sees is the opportunity to be important and to be a wizard again, important to be recognized by the public. And he thinks he can buy the gifts of God. He thinks he can buy a place in kingdom. He thinks he can buy influence. Simon risked having faith. He worshipped his own faith, his own fame though first. His own fame was more important than his faith. He couldn't let it go. So he placed his faith in his money that he trusted, in the familiar things, and he tried to buy a future. See, believing isn't enough. Believing isn't enough. Even believing and being baptized isn't enough. There has to be transformation. There has to be an ongoing discipleship and a growth in him. See, last week we looked at Jairus and the widow who touched Jesus' garment. And and we, we discovered that Jairus set aside his reputation for Jesus. Where Simon wanted reputation through Jesus. Church, we've got to be the kind of people that lift up the name of Jesus. We don't use Jesus to lift our names up. This week, it's a powerful account of a man named Simon who had an encounter with the truth of Jesus. See, Simon the sorcerer, or Simon the magician, he, had, he, he heard about Jesus and there was instant impact. He was an instant follower. There was instant change. And then he witnessed the power of the Holy Spirit. His old familiar life crashed back and he wanted fame. He wanted opportunity. So he tries to buy the power he sees demonstrated. Um, the message that I've just read from has an interesting phrase in the account, just a couple of verses on, and it says this, Peter responds to Simon with this statement, I can see this is an old habit with you. Old familiar ways. We've all got old familiar ways. Does anybody, like, does anybody here have old familiar ways? Does anybody here do the, you know, the old familiar things? The thing? Some, and I don't mean bad things. Sometimes we just like do things in a certain way. I just do things in a certain way. I have habits that I just fall back on. I find myself doing things. We're all, we have familiar things. I just want you to try a familiar thing. Just fold your arms for me if you would. Right, just fold them the other way now if you would please. Come on, it's not hard. No, fold your arms. Right, fold them the other way please now. They're the familiar things. Our mind likes the familiar. And even folding our arms, they're all those smug people. No, I can do it both ways. You can, but it's really uncomfortable. You try folding your arms the wrong way, and it feels weird. It feels weird. Our mind likes the familiar. And we're going to discover that Jesus wants to change our minds. He wants to renew our minds. Um, 
Stop a moment and, and, and really think about the statement. Simon has a Jesus encounter. He walks away from this dodgy old business life that he used to have. And then a few days later, he goes back to trying to gain power over people. An old familiar life that was the enemy of his future in Christ. See, this, this guy, who being important, gets saved, he believes, he's baptized, but he can't help himself. And so, he sacrifices his future. Because the familiar was its enemy. He held on to the familiar. See, dormant, dormant things in our lives don't mean we're delivered. Renovated doesn't mean redeemed. Familiar doesn't mean future. See, dormant means it still exists in our lives. Renovated means we've simply patched it up. It hasn't been redeemed. Familiar means the old is still dominant. And our future is held back. Simon's issues were dormant, but it's apparent that he hadn't been delivered from his present mindset. His life was renovated, but maybe not redeemed. Something else still owned him. In the blink of an eye, he reverts back to familiar habits. Who's got a habit? Shout me out a habit that you've got. What's, what's one of your habits? Oh, okay, it's one of those. Okay. Gary, just uh, tell me later. We'll pray over it. Okay. Anybody got a habit? Yeah? Smoking? Any others? Megan, you put your hand up then. Oh, you're scratching your shoulder. I thought you were about to confess something to your dad. Okay. Oh, come on, you've got habits. Biting fingernails. Wow, you perfect people. Oh, my word, you are so good. You're still in shock, aren't you? That the, uh, go on. Yes, you do. Next time Julie's speaking, she'll create a hook in the top of her hair. She goes like that with her hair, a bit like Stan Laurel. So looking at and she does it all the time. You watch. You're going to be so self-conscious next time you speak. <laughs> you'll see her arm keep going like that and she'll remember and pull it away. So all the next time she's speaking, you'll wonder why is her left arm going up and down the whole time. We all have habits. Our habits might be good, they might be bad. Um, the... But in the blink of an eye, Simon reverted back to his old, familiar, bad habits. The power of Christ had been allowed to change him, but not allowed to unchain him. You know, there's a sense in which the chains are broken and we're set free. But we've got to choose to put them down. We've got to choose to let go of the habits. We've got to choose to put the chains down. The familiar life becomes the enemy of the future if we don't. So let's talk about us. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If the sun sets you free, then you are free indeed. That's what Scripture says. Those, those are two Scriptures. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If the sun sets you free, then you are free indeed. That is truth we can get hold of and experience in our today, in our tomorrow. It covers our past. It covers our past and deals with it. And it gives us a brand new today, and it gives us a future. It gives us a tomorrow. But we can cling on to the familiar old. So this is going to get a little bit airy in a moment because the truth is many of us hang on to the familiar. However, having an encounter with Jesus which makes you socially acceptable in church circles resolves your eternal destination questions and maybe helps you feel better about yourself isn't enough. Jesus wants our trust. He wants our future. He wants our future. I'm going to read that little phrase and statement again. Having an encounter with Jesus, which makes you socially acceptable in church, resolves your eternal destination questions, and maybe helps you feel better about yourself, isn't enough. 
Jesus wants your trust. He wants your future. So, I want to unpack that a little bit because it's quite big. You've worked out this is one of my serious sermons this morning. Um, don't do them often, but every now and again. If you don't allow Jesus to do a delivering work in your life, if you don't say, God, have you got any good ideas? If you don't let him take control, then you've embraced a plane that's going to land badly. You haven't gone far enough. There's a sense in which we, we kind of get on board the plane, but we want to fly it. But it's God's to fly. It's him taking to the future. Now, this isn't a rebuke. This is an encouragement. It's just imagine if we let Jesus. Just imagine if we let Jesus. Imagine his dream for your life instead of your dream. Sue and I, Sue, Sue and kids were this morning. Sue and I were chatting in the cafe um, on Friday, I think it was. And we were talking about dreams. What do you dream? And I just walked in for a slice of toast and she said, what's your dream? Coffee and toast. Right now. Yeah, but what's your dream? Paul and me said, I've been talking about dreams. And she said, my dream is that building across the road, this one, completed. And I said, well, actually, that, that would be my dream. That would be, not because it's the building, because imagine the people coming in and out, the, the lives being touched and transformed. And, and we were chatting this morning, just ever so briefly, about the, imagine the impact on lives, on families, on individuals, if this building were done. So my dream is those people that can access a finished building and all the, the God influence, all the kingdom influence that will bring. And I trust and pray the salvation that will bring into lives, loving and serving. That genuinely is my dream. You know, when you're when you kind of like, what, what, what is the big dream, the big picture? That's it. We're involved in all sorts of other things, further away from Barnsley, around the country, sometimes overseas, some of us. Lots of personal ambitions, things I'd like to see happen or things I'd love to experience. But the dream... That will be it. That God call. But it will crash and burn without God. The result of knowing the saving side of Jesus means we can trust our future experience to him. Your future is secure in him. I've got to tell you, there's a moment in my life, I'm not going into details, but there's a moment in my life where I generally thought there is no future. I've been in control, there's no future. And God is astonishing. Because from that point on, when you say, any good ideas, God, God has created a future. And now for 30 years, God has given me a future. And I know that's going to continue. How amazing is our God? From the lowest, most broken point, when God can step in and say, yeah, I know you're heading to floor really fast, you're going to crash and burn. But here's the deal. Let me give you a future. It's a trust that kills the dormant familiar life and releases the new creation life because we are new creations. And we've got to get older phrases like that in Scripture. We are new creations. When I first came to what was Barnes Christian Fellowship then, I walked into a room of people singing a song called We Are New Creations and they were doing this bizarre dance all at the same time in unison. I truly thought I'd come to some weird organisation. It freaked me out. There's this, I'm not sure on the time, it's almost like two-step hop, two-beat skip, the charismatic hop. I walked into this room, there are all these people of all ages doing this kind of thing. Well, that's what they're all doing. And I had no idea what to do with that. I was from a really traditional, old-fashioned, like a brethren church thing. Well, like if you breathe loudly, you were being too, like, extravagant. It just, I once went to my old church with a bad cold and kept blowing my nose and I got rebuked by the elders for disturbing the meeting too much. 
No, seriously. And then I walked into this room and all these people, they'd found Jesus. And Jesus was interesting. And they were so excited about him, they were dancing. That freaked me out. But it shattered the familiar. Shattered the familiar. And suddenly you're aware that God is bigger than I realized. His Holy Spirit is present today. And people were doing that, not because it was a habit, but because they were genuinely excited about what God was doing and the possibilities for the future. How amazing is our future? In flight 232 that I told you about, when the captain said, I have control, at that moment, every person on the aircraft was as good as dead. The minute he said, has anybody got any good ideas, every person from that moment was alive. The minute he began to trust, the minute he began to work with those around him, the minute they began to say, we can do this, that was just trusting other people, then, then, they were alive. Church, how much more, that's just an aeroplane, how much more if we say, Lord, have you got any good ideas for my life? What can we do with this life? Lord, you've seen it. The engines are burning. I'm hurtling downhill. I'm really a bit out of control. I'm not sure if I know even how to land this thing. Even if my engines are working, the wheels are down. How do I land it? How do I make it fly? But I know scripture says we rise upon wings like eagles. So I know our God is into flying. I know our God is not into landing badly. So if I simply say to God, if you simply say to God this morning, Lord, will you help me fly this thing? I know he has a future. In a moment of stress, when your engines fail, in a moment of pain, in a moment of confrontation, things that are familiar or dormant can rise to the surface. Now, this never happens with me. When I'm under stress and pressure, and I'm losing my te- I never lose my temper anymore. You, it's, it's 40 years since I lost my temper, Jill. Would you agree? <laughs> Rob, I never lose my temper, do I? No, never. Thank you. Man after my own heart. Not many of you will have seen me lose my temper. Those of you who have seen me lose my temper will know that I lose my temper with style. It doesn't happen often. It's kind of not me anymore. But every now and again, the old familiar ways break in. Now, you know in your life you've got old familiar ways that occasionally in certain circumstances break in. But God can give us a new future. We are new creations. The old familiar dormant life doesn't have to rise to the surface. It can be put to death. It can end. When we worship and still battle addictions, attitudes, actions, then we must come to grips with the truth that we aren't there yet. We're not there yet. When alcohol still has control, when anger still rules, when lust wins, when cynicism is our natural state, when gossip is our go-to situation, when depression overwhelms us, when brokenness is worn like a badge, when insecurity is our identity, when pride becomes our passion, when the past dictates our present and our future, then we still have somewhere to go in God then we still have somewhere to go in God. And the best thing is, God still wants us to go there with him. So all that stuff we carry, you know that stuff when we say, oh, I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy enough, I have all this old familiar stuff, this is how I am, this is my history, and we cling on to the familiar, we cling on to the chain. You know what? God is fine with that. Because he says, well, let's go on a journey with it. Let's work on this. Let's do this together. This is a good news thing. This is not a rebuke. This is an encouragement that God is still in the cockpit with you. God is still in control. God has a future. Don't let your familiar steal his future for you. 
Here is when our faith meets risk in our future. Allowing our issues to remain familiar simply means our chains are broken but still attached to us. Familiarity is our mind being shaped to contain our past or present perceptions of ourselves or our situations. Familiar is our human judgment that contains and restrains us. But Jesus... Let me read to you about human judgment and how we judge ourselves. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. He's into renewing our minds. He's into destroying the old familiar ways and giving us brand new ways, a brand new future. That's what he's about. That's a journey. For some people, it's a moment in time. For some people, it's a lifelong discipleship journey, an apprentice journey. But that's what we're about. So, church, can I simply say this to you? When you are full of human judgment, just know that human judgment. Let's get hold of some God judgment, some human judgment that is subjected to the mind of Christ because he sets us free. He doesn't condemn us. He brings freedom and life to us. And we need to know in our familiar settings, whether it be your habits, your actions, your history, your mistakes, your lifestyle, your illnesses, your fears, your depressions, your addictions, whatever they may be, they can be released and subject to the mind of Christ. You can be transformed. I really believe it. Really believe it. So, I'm not condemning, I'm excited because we're Jesus followers, apprentice Christians. This is our adventure. So take your really bad familiar. If you've got a really difficult familiar that has been part of your life for a really long time, that's an adventure. It is an adventure in God. It's a breaking through. It may be taking a long time to break through, but we can break through. Colossians 3.10 says, And we have put on the new self, which has been renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. The old familiar ways are not who we are now. That's just the, like, the baggage, it's the stain, it's the leftover, it's the chain we're still trying to shake free. Even today we can shake off a little bit of familiar and grasp hold of a little more future. There's a brilliant advert on the TV at the moment for, I think it's Dulux Paint, and a dog walks into the room and shakes itself, and there's mud flies everywhere and splatters on the walls. It's just everywhere, and it's just, but the dog shakes it off. The dog shakes it off. And it's clean. And I just, like church, that's kind of our journey in God. We're shaking it off. We're shaking it off. It's not who we are anymore. It doesn't belong. Maybe on us, but it's not of us. So if this morning, if you've got a depression thing, I want to say to you, if you suffer from depression, depression may be on you, but it's not of you. You're of Christ now. So let's begin to work on shaking that off. And that may take years, but God's in it with you. It may be in a moment. The old is gone, the new has come. Luke 4 says this, Jesus went to the meeting place where he stood up to read. He was under the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it is written. And Jesus read these words, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And I don't see why that's changed. I don't think that's changed. I think we can still proclaim that truth today in this room. There are people in this room that still need to know the Spirit of the Lord is present 
and he is anointing us to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent us to proclaim freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of Lord's favor over our lives and over the lives of those outside. That is true today. That is what, that's the same Holy Spirit. But faith risks trust. Let's jump back a little bit to last week. Um, I want to talk to you just briefly for a brief moment about the lady that reached out and touched the hem of Jesus' garment. I'm going to read it to you really quickly. When no one stepped forward, Peter said, But Master, we've got crowds of people on our hands. Dozens have touched you. Jesus insisted, Someone touched me. I felt power discharged from me. When the woman realized that she couldn't remain hidden, she knelt before, trembling before him in front of all the people. She blurted out her story. When she touched him, and now at that same moment she was healed, Jesus said, daughter, you took a risk trusting me, and now you're healed and whole. Live well, live blessed. The woman could be healed, but listen, we may get saved, we may get healed to that extent, but when we kneel before him and confess our story to him, when we give our lives to him, effectively she gave her life to God, she gave her life to Jesus, when we give our lives to him, submit it to him, his words over us are, you are healed, be made whole, be blessed. That matters, the significance in those words. Healing is one thing, being made whole means everything is put right. Everything is as it should be. It's not like I chopped my hand off, but it stopped bleeding now, so I won't die. It's like being made whole. I've chopped my hand off, it stopped bleeding, I've grown a new one. It's made whole. Our body's put right, our spirit, our soul is put right. She was made whole. And the best thing is, be blessed means that he's effectively proclaiming to the whole community. Remember, the leader of the synagogue was there where she wasn't allowed to go. He proclaims she is now back part of the community. She's blessed. She belongs again. Live blessed. Live in worship. Live in a place of community. So God is about making us whole. Not just saving us so we cling on through this life and hopefully one day we'll get to heaven. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our eternity has already begun. And we need to grasp that future and pull it into our now. We're not just people that live in the old familiar ways. We're people that live in your kingdom come. And that is part of our now experience. That means that we are made whole and we are blessed. It means that we are not just saved, we are redeemed, we are completed, we are being grown. We are being, we are, we're going from one degree of glory to another. God is doing a work within us and we belong. Hope our church is poised. I truly believe it is poised. It's teaching on the edge. The edge of some move of God of faith. And it's a massive risk. I want to tell you, I feel like Hope House Church should rename itself Hope House Flight 232. Would that be all right? Because it feels like this. If we get this right, this amazing aircraft is going to fly and land and everybody's going to walk off alive. And if we get this wrong, well, it's been great. See you in heaven. I really believe Hope House Church is poised. It's the edge of some move of God. But here's the deal. We cannot fly this thing solo. We need to do it together. And more than ever, we need the presence of the Holy Spirit. We need to do this for God and with God. I want to be whole and renewed, future living, blessed with our future breaking into our today and driving out all familiar ways. Every time I use that phrase, I want to burst into a Paul Simon song. Um, I'm going to ask the band to come back up onto stage, if you would do, please. 
Church, I just long for us to be excited about what God can do here. I'm looking forward to it, because I'm like a typical church pastor. I've got my holidays in a few weeks' time, but I'm looking forward to everybody being back from holidays, because I just love it when we're all here, when we all gather. I just love that sense of all of us here, that, that mixture of people, that type of community. And I look around the room, and I just think, what is God doing here? What is God going to do here? What are God's plans and purposes? And I believe we're beginning to get a hint. We've been pruned and refined a little bit recently, and all that stuff is difficult, and it's something we wrestle with. But I really believe God is preparing us, and I believe he's brought us to the edge of something where alone we will crash and burn. And it's God's goodness that's brought us there. It's beyond us. It's like... We need the Lord. And what we are as a church, that right now, with this building and the dreams and the possibilities and a town that needs to know Jesus as its Lord and Saviour, that needs to be influenced and touched and loved and blessed and made whole, with a town that needs that, I'm conscious that we can practice that internally. We can practice that because I look around the room and I know within this congregation there are amazing people. There are co-pilots that can say, well, I can't fly this thing alone, but I can work the throttle bit. There are people sat in the back saying, well, I've worked on simulators. I've got a concept, but I've never done it before. Well, let, let's give this a flight. We've got a captain that says, whoa, over to you. Any good ideas? Church. We need the Holy Spirit. Romans 12 verse 1 says this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, His pleasing, and His perfect will. Oh, church, come on. Let's have our minds renewed. Let's dream His dreams. Let's dream His dreams for our lives. Let's dream His dreams for the life of this church. Let's dream His dreams for the life of our town and beyond stream his dreams not our capacity but his so this morning I'm, I'm, I'm going to do what I don't often do but I, I want us to be really brave because we're in it together because I genuinely believe in this room there isn't judgment there isn't condemnation there is a genuine love for one another and so we're going to say Lord give us your dream begin to release your dream to us this morning begin to take us into that next step of trusting God enough to take the risk the thing we call faith and it might be that you have a personal situation, you've got an ongoing familiar in your life that you want to begin to break through. Maybe this morning God will break you through it completely. Maybe it'll just be the next step of the process. But when I say come and stand at the front, what you're saying is, has anybody got any good ideas? What you're saying is, I'm in this with you. What you're saying is, I trust the people around me because they trust the Lord. And I'm trusting the Lord too. You're saying, you're saying something prophetically. You're saying something to the powers and principalities. You're saying something to the people around you that you're saying, I'm dreaming God's dream for my life. And so I'm going to invite you in a moment as we begin to sing, if you want to be prayed for or just perhaps just to stand and say, I give this to you, Lord. It may be a physical ailment where we're believing for healing. We'll be praying for healing tonight. Colin's leading tonight, so I've just announced that he's praying for healing tonight. Sorry, mate. I do. <laughs> um, We'll pray for you for healing. If it may be emotional or psychological or mental, you know what? We'll pray for God's dream and renewing of your mind. We can do that. I've seen it. I've experienced it. God does amazing things. It may be that you're just lost and trying to work out what is the dream. Maybe that you just don't know what the future is. Maybe that you just don't know whether to step forward, to step left, to step right, or to step back.
we would love to pray with you. Not to tell you anything, not to control you, not to direct you, but simply to pray God's presence into your situation. To pray for the renewing of your situation. Because right there is the meeting of faith and risk. And it's when our future is no longer battling with our familiar. We're set free. Just imagine a God future in your circumstance. And as we all imagine a God future in our circumstance now, together, imagine our God future going forward. What could he do? What couldn't he do? What are the possibilities? Where might he take us? So the band are going to play. They're going to lead us in singing and worship and some worship again. And if you want to, if you want to be prayed for, whatever the situation, whatever the reason, we're simply going to pray for a renewing of your mind, for a renewing of your situation for a breaking off of a familiar. We're not going to go lots of detail. We're not going to ask you for histories. We're not going to ask you to, to like go through whys and wherefores. We will, whoever comes and prays, we will simply pray, Lord, we want to break the familiar and we want to enter your future. We want to pray for renewing of mind, renewing of heart, a renewing of God's dreams in this person's life. That's what we're going to pray because I, I feel like the presence of the Holy Spirit, we're going to pray all the Spirit into you, is sufficient for every circumstance. And know this, there is no condemnation. Now there is no condemnation. He didn't come to judges, he came to redeem us, to set us free. So we can repent and be transformed and receive a God future, a Jesus future. So let's worship. And if you choose to, I'm not going to come back up here and encourage anybody else forward. If nobody comes forward, that's fine. I'm not going to give you 25 chances or put you under the cosh. So I'm going to say, as we sing, come and stand at the front. One of us will come and briefly pray with you. And let's risk trusting God enough to take the risk of faith Amen
like any other morning or it's like making a tiny hole in that dam and when that tiny hole is made in the dam eventually it will break through eventually the water will come gushing the spirit will come gushing there will be transformation there will be breakthrough and so Lord we want to pray this morning that this isn't just a nice morning with some nice responses and some nice coffee afterwards and nice conversation Lord we've met in your name as Holy Spirit we pray that if we've been in your presence we can't leave unaffected we can't leave unchanged so Lord we want to pray over every mind in this place now that you would renew it Lord the conversations that we're having with ourselves now in our minds in our hearts Lord that you begin to break into them Lord the questions about futures and possibilities the questions of histories and familiar things Lord would you break through those things and give us a future Lord, for hearts that are trying to work out how they feel about you, do they know you, do they trust you, Lord, would you supernaturally place trust in those hearts, bring salvation there. For those of us with long histories, Lord, we want to pray that you give us long futures. 
and new futures. So Lord, we pray that you would renew the minds of the depressed, renew the minds of the addicted, renew the minds of the fearful, renew the minds of us when we gossip, renew our minds, Lord, when we walk in cynicism, Lord, renew our minds when we doubt and lack faith, renew our minds when we run away. Lord, whatever our circumstances, we pray that you would renew our minds, we would know what your good, pleasing and perfect will is. Give us your dreams, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's been great to meet together. We'll meet together at 6 o'clock tonight.